All right. Dean Little, uh, CEO of BitPing, working with Matterpool. I don't know. You got a whole bunch of projects, doing a bunch of stuff in the crypto world and have been for a while. Really, really smart guy. I always go to Dean when I have, when there are technical questions and I need someone who understands the technical stuff, but can explain it in like normie language, uh, I go to Dean and he can, he can almost make it dumb enough for me to understand most of the time. So <laughs> good to chat with you. Yeah. Good, good to chat with you too, man. It's been a while. Well, so um, I, I mostly want to talk about, and we've done this before, but we did it on Streamanity. So it was like, you know, only people who have BSV could see it. I want to do it for a little bit broader um, audience here. I mostly want to talk about comparing different protocols when it comes to micropayments specifically. But one, one of the reasons I like chatting with you is Dean has actually built a uh, bootstrapped, a profitable growing business that utilizes micropayments with BitPing that yeah. people come on and get, give us the quick elevator pitch for BitPing, um, how it works and how you use micropayments. Sure. Um, so when it comes to network outages, most people will actually notice these outages occur not at the center of the network with giants like you know Google and Amazon and where all the servers are. Usually it happens around the edges of the network. And but everyone's using these giant, these tech giants to actually monitor their infrastructure and their, their websites and their web apps and services. And so what actually is happening is they're getting all of these false uh, false negatives when it comes to downtime, because just because Google can access your website doesn't mean that your end user can. So essentially they're flying blind. So what we did is we created a distributed network of people who download our app, they just run it in the background on their computer and we send them jobs to do uh, tests for things such as like video stream speed, uh, website uptime, load time, UX testing, all this stuff, it just sits there and just runs in the background. And uh, at the end of the day, we give our customers more accurate um, analytics and performance data for their web apps and services from real users, from real devices in right now about 70 countries. Um, and each time one of those jobs comp completes, we send the user some money. And, um, you know, so, the micropayments aspect comes into it when you know we can send someone a, a fraction of a cent to, to do this work because before micropayments were feasible on the internet um, there's no way someone would go and download our app and do this for free but there's also no way someone would go and swipe a credit card to pay them yep yep yeah i i i love it because it's an example of one of the things that i've been talking about on this series which is that it's not always, it's, you know, you can use micropayments on one end of a transaction without using them on the other. So your customers, yeah. where you're earning your revenue, their businesses that are coming to you, they don't care at all about micropayments or crypto or any of this stuff. They care about getting this data and they pay you. Here you go. We want this data for this month or this period of time. And they're paying you in cash and they're not paying you micropayments. They're paying you larger sums. And then you are getting the data from all these people who are running this on their laptops or the PCs or whatever, and they're getting those streaming payments, those streaming streaming tiny payments on their end because 
that's the only way that it makes economic sense to tap into them. And I, I just, I think it's such a great example of how an entire market, you know, the industry that you're in, the selling, selling uptime data or whatever, that's not an industry that on the front end is really going to care about micropayments, but on the back end, it makes so much sense. So, um, and, and I've, and I've run BitPing before, uh, by the way, it's kind of cool. It's kind of fun, really simple. You download it, you let it run in the background. And then like, I think I went and checked and like, you know, I had like, let it run for, I don't know, several days or whatever. And there was like a few pennies or something worth. It was like a pretty small amount. And I know um, that in some areas, the payments are higher based on whether there's, um, you know, there's a lot of people in the, there's a lot of ways in the US to get this data. So it's less valuable for me to run it because there's a lot of competitors. But um, so when you're doing this, you are paying out because you need to use micropayments. Um, you've got to use you've got to use uh, crypto. You can't use traditional, like you said, credit cards or whatever to pay out fractions of a penny to people. Um, you know, in in constant streams and whatever. You are using BSV right now, and from my understanding, you said you also could um, potentially use BCH just as easily, probably or almost as easily, um, and then Solana possibly. When, when it comes to the people receiving this, do you get complaints? Like people that are running this, are they like, I don't know what to do with this BSV you're sending me. Can you send me some, some cash or something? Or are they all savvy? It's kind of, it's kind of half, half. So half the people are like, um, they're, they're like from the BSV community. And so they're like, oh, uh, I, I have a penny. I can go and make a Twitch with this. I can go and, you know, like share something on, on, on Twitch and then turn that into more money if my content's good and people will like it. And then, you know, then I can, oh, I got a few pennies and then I can go and buy something on TDXP and then I can flip that. And, you know, like there's people who have gone from like a penny to like a significant amount of money just by like flipping up. So that's like probably, I would say half our user base is like that. Um, and then the other half are kind of like, how do I immediately send this to KuCoin so that I, uh, I don't have to hold it ever? Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people don't, don't want, the, the, it's funny, they want the utility of the coin of BSV, yeah. but they don't want BSV. Yeah. because of just the political shitstorm surrounding it, which is just, it's kind of funny. But, you know, if we if we compare BCH and BSV in terms of just like cash payments, right? Both of them have fees so small that you wouldn't really notice them, right? But BCH is still like uh, about, I don't know, what was it? I think it's like 1.2 sats per byte or something, whereas BSV is like 0.5 standard, you know? So... You know, it's like almost double the um, it's almost double the the fees. And when you're talking like something where you sit there running it for a few days and get a few pennies or whatever, it's like the fees at that micropayment scale, the fees do still make up a significant portion, yeah. right? And so you have to have higher minimums and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, people have been saying, can you add BCH? Can you add Solana? And the main reason is because they've been earning, you know, maybe for a year or something, some people have made, like some people in Southeast Asia make more money than like, than it costs to pay for their phone bill, for example, like it literally pays for their internet. Um, some people, 
uh, in the US and in Europe have just like run a lot of different nodes and they've earned, you know, one, $200 sort of thing. But then they've seen with the price action, it's just like plummeted from like 200 to 100. And so they're like, can you add other assets? Cause this isn't going up in value or this isn't going up in price, should I say? Yeah. And, that, and that's one of the things that I, I think for, for micropayment use cases to, to really gain broad adoption, there's got to be a separation from the volatility of crypto markets. It's, can you separate the utility from the volatility? Um, you know, and there's still sort of two approaches to that. One is, well, you just wait until some coin is so broadly used that it is money and, then no, and everybody uses it and wants to hold it and it stabilizes because of that, which seems very, very uh, hard to bank on. Or is there a way that you can utilize, utilize the micropayment features of crypto and then give both users the experience that your businesses have right now. They pay you in cash. They don't ever have to worry about the price of crypto. They don't, they don't have to go buy BSV and then send it to you or whatever. Can your, can your people on the other end somehow have a fiat experience where they can get paid out in fiat? And like that technological hurdle, um, I, I think is really like, if that can be solved then the breakthroughs, then the, the massive adoption of, of micropayments comes because there's just so many people that, what am I going to do with BSV or, or any of these cryptos? And, and do I want the business risk of having to maintain? I mean, even if I'm a business that builds something on micropayments and my earnings, my revenue is coming in any, any form of crypto. Now you're, now you're also a playing speculator and you're like, well, I'm, my core business is to build a business, not to speculate on on assets that trade with high volatility. So um, I think that's really interesting though, but, but it's interesting that half of your users probably are users because they like the coin and they come to BitPing because they want to earn more of it. And then the other half are people that they just want to earn money and they don't care what form it comes in. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I think that's just to do with like, you know, the history of how we got started, but like, what you see is like more and more of those people like they don't, they don't care what coin they just want to profit and like that's good that's what they should want right they shouldn't they shouldn't care what coin they should just want to profit um but yeah in terms of like sending a stable coin um for like really really cheap like literally the cheapest way to send like us dollars today would be um solana like uh usd see on solana it's like like less than 0.01 cents or something like that to send a transaction like so you, you can send like fractions of a penny but it's actually a penny it's not you know <laughs> it's not solana it's a penny yep. on solana yep. um and so they've released a product called solana pay uh which is like a proof of uh, I, I'm thinking I had POS and I'm going proof of stake uh, point of sale. It's like a point of sale um, system that allows people to make use of this because it's so much cheaper than credit cards and PayPal. Yeah. Like the 30 cents, something, you know, those, those are what? Yeah. 30, cent 30 cents plus fees. 3%. Yep. Yeah. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So like people can literally just use Solana and um, like USDC on Solana and um, like put it this way. If the, if the, if the federal government wanted to go and, do another round of stimulus the cheapest way to do it in us dollar equivalent would be usdc on solana like and is and that that's, and that's working crazy. right now yeah it works yeah why um so, okay so people so if people get paid in usdc the benefit is now they don't have to worry about the crypto volatility um 
The downside is they still have to change it into dollars if they want to go use it in most of the most of the real world outside of the digital world. And even the digital world, there's a lot of places that don't, not very many places except US, if you want to go buy something online, Amazon, whatever, they're not going to accept USDC. Well, you know, it's, um, we are seeing more and more people, you know, taking it up. Um, like right now, the most common way of sending USDC, I would say is, uh, like TRC20, the Tron, the Tron version of it. Um, mm. But that's Tron USDT rather, not USDC. Yeah, you, that's but, right. Um, but that's that seems to me like the most common one. Like everyone's like, give me a Tron address. But um, for and, and that that also works. Like the fees are pretty reasonable there too. But um, but yeah, I, I think they've got this big push. They're you know talking to like Congress and stuff, like trying to like get this all rolled out. Um, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if you started to see it like pop up as an alternative to credit cards. Cause you just say to a merchant, like there's no volatility, your fees are like almost nothing. Like you won't even yeah. notice them. Like, I think it's such a no brainer. And then, um, you know, the, the, the big, the biggest criticism I have of it is like, if we do make use of these tiny, tiny micro payments on Solana, like what on Solana can you spend them on? Because it seems the primary use case for Solana is like, DeFi stuff or buying a JPEG that isn't actually on chain and stuff like that. And like, I'm sure, I'm sure entrepreneurs will come along and businesses will come along and build cool stuff, but like, um, and cause, cause the protocol itself is really good, but like, yeah, it's lacking, it's lacking in, um, entrepreneurs. I think it's got a lot of skillful coders and not a whole lot of like real business entrepreneurs going and, uh, making use of this stuff so does, does yeah. any chain does any chain have a lot of entrepreneurs building micropayment applications well like btc used to right like you know the first i would say the first like real uh app would have to be like satoshi dice and then as the as the price went up and the block size stayed the same the fees became you know impossible and uh, satoshi dice was forced to fully um, centralize everything and you know you do one big deposit and you have an account and yada 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 as opposed to just you know you could just gamble with your btc um so really what you see is like um there's <laughs> there's kind of there's like two two economic activities right there's like holding the thing doing nothing speculating and watching it go up in value and then there's like trying to accumulate more of it with interesting features and apps and and you know whatever right and uh people overwhelmingly just want to put their 20 dollars on, on coinbase and uh wait a year and take a look at it and see if it's going to 30 dollars. you know like maybe, that's the maybe they do user. or maybe or maybe there just aren't that many uses that are interesting so like when i have yeah. just with like my buddies i'll i've sent them um you know, called it where they can go and pick NFL games and it's 10 cents per pick and whatever. And they all love it. They all think it's great. Oh, this is super fun. This is really cool. This is a really unique way to do fantasy football using micropayments. There's so few things like that. Like yeah. I'm just really shocked and I keep looking for where's the community that has the most activity like that. And believe it or not, it seems to be BSV and there's like 20 <laughs> legitimate apps. You know what I mean? Like maybe there's a couple hundred, but like 20 legitimate micropayment apps. And then you look at like BCH has like 
two or three, maybe. And they're kind of semi-abandoned, like play, you know, my, true micropayment apps. Solana, I really have a hard time finding anything other than DeFi and NFTs. I found a couple that are projects that raised money and, and say that they're real, but they don't seem to have anything done at all. Um, one was actually a fantasy sports uh, app. So I'm just really curious. Like, to, It feels to me like it's super, super early because the escalating price from like 2015 on basically blinded everyone. Everybody just started chasing tokens and NFTs and, and trading and speculating stuff because that was where there was money to be made. And it kind of, kind of lost, sort of forgot what's possible with micropayments. So um, from a, so, so from a technological standpoint, what are the protocols? We've already mentioned a few. What are the protocols that are capable of doing, let's say, sub-cent payments? Uh, so tenth of a penny, hundredth of a penny payments. Like can, what, what could you know, if you're, if you're somebody that, let's say you want to build a simple, a simple game that costs you a tenth of a penny every time you play or a penny, and then it gets, you get paid out a tenth of a penny. Um, what are your options for protocols? We got BSV, we got BCH, with Solana, sounds like. Uh, mm -hmm. What others? Oh, on a good day, Litecoin fees can get low enough that you could like make a transaction, but it's not quite instant. Um, if you're thinking of building it to where you want it to be really large, really scalable, and you want to be able to rely on it, Litecoin yeah. is not quite reliable enough. Yeah, yeah, I probably wouldn't do it on Litecoin, but I'm just saying like it can get under a cent, the fee. Um, Doge used to be under a cent, but then the price just went crazy. So um and th th that's the whole thing, right? If the block size isn't elastic to demand, then the fees go through the roof and right. kill innovation on your chain. And yeah, anyway, but um, the other protocols, um, there's, there is a blockchain that came out, it was like two or three years ago called IOST. And it's one of the best blockchains I've ever like actually worked with. And it's like, it's barely, I don't even, I don't know if it's even in the top 100 or anything, but like it's got, um, this like JavaScript contract, smart contract interpreter. Um, and it's got like, you, you, instead of paying fees, you just like stake your resources and you get X amount of gas per day from it. And um, so the transaction doesn't really like cost you anything to send, but you are limited by how much you keep tied up. And that's like a, a way of like, I guess, um, making the currency more or less, less inflationary. Um, so, you know, there's, there's another blockchain that can do free transactions. I can't remember the name. Some people uh, have, uh, people have mentioned to me dash and nano. Um, I'm trying I to think. think. It's nano. Yeah. 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 So like there's, there's a few of them out there, like, but like I would consider if you want a micropayments use case, you really need fees to be under 0.1 cents right yeah, so a tenth, sure. a tenth of a penny a tenth of a penny means you can send a penny it's a 10 percent transaction fee on sending a penny right but like you send 10 pennies it's like one percent transaction fee it becomes like negligible right so i think 0.1 cents is like kind of that's kind of the um the benchmark at which i say this is a chain you should build on for micropayments how does because because i'm thinking even more extreme than that i'm like I want to be able to send a hundredth of a penny. And, and on BSV, I, I have before. I've been able to send 
tenths and even hundreds of pennies before. Um, how do, like, how does Solana compare in that? Like, how low can you go on Solana? I haven't checked the prices uh, recently, but generally speaking, uh, like a few months ago, it was about half the price of a PSV transaction. Okay, so um, you can go just a, you can go even lower. You can send yeah, hundreds, yeah. thousands of pennies. So so it's cheaper. The model that it's built on is it um, is it such that does it run into the issue if price starts going up, those fees start going up, or do they stay at no, that really low? No. Okay, no. I didn't think so because they have like a uh, like a proof of history sort of setup. Yeah, so the strange thing, the strange thing I see with Solana is they don't have price discrimination baked into the fee market, which I think is kind of strange. I think that that's something they should have. I think you should be able to be like, this transaction is costing me a lot of resources, and yeah. I don't really want to process it. So rather than saying no it should just cost them this much money and yeah, they can decide right. if they want to pay me that. Like, yeah, the ability to negotiate with miners, I think is actually a great but, thing for different types of transactions. It can be, it, but it can also create other problems. Um, so, you know, cause you got to think um, you're sharing that network with other people, right? And all of a sudden a miner just goes and dumps a shit ton of transactions on the network, right? Um, that you haven't seen before. It's like that, that that's costing you like money, resources, storage space, etc. You haven't really benefited or profited from that. And, you know, by virtue of them being the big guy and you're the small guy, you basically have to take it. And like, if you look at um, how like competition laws work in most countries, that's a, like, it's actually a violation of like antitrust laws uh, to cause your competitors, um, you know, to take on an unfair amount of uh, burden in the market um, and in a way that they can't compete with you. Now, of course, if it can happen though, it will happen. And that's, you know, that's, that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's essentially like at scale, this stuff is cartel stuff basically. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, it can be, uh, it, it can, it can, it can be good in terms of like the fact that you can have price discrimination. It can also cause other problems. Like uh, think, think for a mat uh, for a moment, like, if you could just mine everything at any fee rate and you would make more money, would you care so much about discriminating based on price? Right? Like probably, probably not. Right. Cause from the miner perspective, you should just be like, I want money. Right. Yep. But yep. yeah. So, 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 so like you can sort of see like when it gets, when it's like a medium scale, the price discrimination thing is like an anti, um, denial of service sort of measure. But when you get to like really, really big scale, it's like, it does come to a point where just even the, uh, even the fee calculation required to see if you'll mine something is just overhead and you could just, you know, just like blast through it, you know? So, um, it is the, is the fact that, um, all transactions are treated equally on Solana in terms of fees, is that one of the issues that has led to recently the network crashing a lot because people are, are sending really high data, like heavy duty transactions, and there's no way to, to price those any differently. And so they're kind of filling up the network with data that it can't handle. So there's two things. So the first thing was like the radium bots that they're just sitting there absolutely spamming, trying to like snipe bids um, on radium. And uh, so 
<laughs> they were publishing all these transactions. A lot of them are failing. A lot of them, you know, weren't 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 working. But that was jamming up the system. Um, and then now they've it's like that problem's like significantly reduced. Um, but they're literally having issues where like <laughs> like their servers are at capacity for accepting transactions, and they need a way to to shard that up and like like load balance that stuff because the raw network itself is breaking down. It's not the software, it's the demand for the, the, the network. You know, it's the, it's, the, it's the bandwidth and the throughput that, that, that they're struggling with. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that in itself is a difficult problem, right? You wanna launch a node and let anyone be able to run it, but then, you know, when, you, you also don't want your network to have these weak nodes that can't deal with the throughput. And uh, so, you know, it very much is like that Stackelberg game, right? Where like, you know, everyone has to follow the leader and keep up. But if the leader goes too fast, everyone else falls off and the network dies. So it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, so do you, like, I'm always trying to assess the, you know, the relative pros and cons of, of working with any different protocol and, and looking yeah. in the near term versus the long term. When you look at the model, for let's say Solana compared to um, big block Bitcoin, BCH mm -hmm. or BSV. And you say, if I were to imagine a world where we got millions of people using this all the time for subcent payments, penny payments, whatever, is there anything in the, in the model of um, Solana versus big block Bitcoin that makes you say this, this one is more, I think I can trust the economic incentives and the technology involved long-term more than, more than the other. Um, well, you could make the argument like Bitcoin has been around for what, 12, 13 years sort of thing. And um, it's been down about like four times in that, in that time. Um, so Bitcoin is to some extent battle tested if you know what I mean, like for, yeah. for very va vanilla looking payments, that is right. Like if you're just sending a pay to public key hash or whatever, that sort of thing is pretty, pretty foolproof. Um, when it comes to larger scripts and stuff, I don't think that's true. I mean, um, like right now, the node software doesn't even look at your script and like calculate a fee based upon how many codes it has to execute. Right. So like, uh, right now, there are scripts that I could create that could like shut down any Bitcoin node if I mine them into a block, right? Because there's like there like nodes are free to reject transactions um, from the peer-to-peer -peer network that, that they don't like or whatever. But once it gets into a block, they have to validate it, right? And uh, I've taken testnet offline before. You know, like it's not hard to do. Um, you can talk to like you know, gorilla pool. I, I, I'm like, Hey, can I try and attack your nodes? They're like, yeah, sure. I'm like, Oh, cool. I took it offline. They're like, yeah, damn. Like, so, you know, um, what, what, what you, what you get, like what you see in terms of like propaganda in this space is just absolutely insane. No one's willing to be honest and like, look at the elephant in the room and like solve these difficult problems that they'd, they'd rather tell narratives because that's better for speculation, which is the primary yeah. thing that people yeah. want to do with blockchains, right? Like, like, you know, we don't, we don't want peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. We want, how do I speculate on, on this currency? Oh, the currency is fairly, how do I speculate on JPEGs instead? Like that's, yeah. that's what, that's what they want. So it, it, 
Yeah, what what uh, story will make the price go up? Uh, yeah. So okay, so let's say today. Yeah. If uh, let's just pick a big giant consumer. Let's say let's say Twitter. All of a sudden, every interaction cost a penny, or or Spotify. Every song cost a hundredth of a penny. Given the number of users that you know, Twitter has what like a hundred million, couple hundred million users, or something like that. I don't know what their daily actives are and activities per day, but just given that sort of scope. Is there any any existing protocol today that could handle that volume of tiny transactions yeah. going? Yeah, like the Bitcoin protocol can handle that, right? It, what it about the, the, the network as it as it exists of miners? That's the thing. That's the thing. The node software is not really not really up to scratch. The the you know there's no competition in mining, etc. It's so it's kind of like you know, the protocol itself is not the problem. It's the okay. people and the implementation, you know, of that of that protocol that really needs some work. Which um, which network would break first or which would last the longest with volume? Oh, you know what I mean? Or, or who could go the I, biggest as of today? Well, probably it's probably VSV, I would say, probably. Um, I mean, I know their, their rhetoric has been it. the most focused on radical scale and terabyte blocks. Yeah, but like that's that. not scale. That's not scale. That's not scale. What you go and you go and upload a terabyte, uh, not terabyte, you go and upload like a gigabyte file to a miner's private database and then they add proof of work to it. That's not scaling. Scaling is I can validate 50,000 transactions per second yeah. every second of every day yep. without any double spends. And the whole network is able to reach consensus. And it's not just me, this one giant miner. Yeah. There's like at least five or six of us sort of that, thing competing that, for this. That's all this I business. ask. I, that's all I ask. I just want like 100,000 transactions per second at, at uh, you know, the ability to go down to sub cent and be instant well, and uh, have no double spends and, you know, be good to go. Well, Visa does it. Visa does it. They just charge you like a ridiculous amount of money for right. it. Right. I need I like, need those fees to be, you know, yeah, hundreds of not, a penny. Not ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, not ridiculous. Because yeah. the, the thing, like the thing that uh, we've spoken about, I think last time, I think I said was like, there's this massive market on the internet, right? For mm -hmm. things like, you know, people filling out surveys or people, you know, mm -hmm. watching paid ads or whatever and profiting from it, right? Uh, even you can look at um, the basic attention token mm -hmm. like the it, that's baked into a uh, Brave browser. Like that is fantastic. You get paid for like whatever you consume. That like, that's good. You share your data and you get, you get paid, not just some big Silicon Valley firm. Um, uh, so like the, the, these things are all, all really good, but those markets can only really exist between like, like they, they, they can only really exist when, when, when payments are affordable. So there's all these like untapped data use cases between like the zero and one, like zero cents and $1 sort of yep. mark, right? Because there's things that you, you might want to pay a dollar for, but someone's not going to do it for the, the 65 cents that they receive after fees plus mm -hmm. the, other 35 cents they'll need to go and move their 65 cents after so yep. you know that's that there, there there's a lot of things on the internet that would be worth a dollar that we literally can't pay people a dollar for right now and uh it's only like very recently that that's been possible so i think you you know once once people understand the power of that i think you'll see a lot of a lot of apps like springing up like that yeah, and it's it's so interesting because there's like this 
you know, I broke in the first video I did on this series, I broke these, these things into three categories. One is happening today. One is possible today. And then one is theoretically possible. And what's interesting is like truly like nano payments that are instant and all this stuff, they are happening today. I mean, BitPing is doing them all the time and they're doable. I could spin up an app that does them, but they are also only doable to a point. Like if, if I, if I said I want to get Spotify or Twitter, as I mentioned, to do it, there isn't a network that could currently handle that, right? You'd have to, now most companies, you know, you don't, you don't go from zero to 50,000 transactions per second anyway, but there's this long-term question of like, okay, cool. It works today. Let's say on BSV, I can, I can instantly send you a 10th of a penny and we can do this back and forth as many times as we want to today. And it's going to be quick. It's going to be instant. It's going to work flawlessly. But if that's scaled up, can I trust that that network's going to be able to do that? the long term and the same for Solana and the same for any of these or for, you know, two years down the road, if my company takes off, can I rely on this network to continue to process these transactions at this, at this low cost? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, you know, and it's really, it's really telling from the attitude that, you know, all these networks take to right. BCH attitude is, oh, it's big enough now and it scales enough now. And if more people use it, then we'll just like scale it a bit more. Right. And so it's literally this apathetic, like, don't build it and hope they come. Right. <laughs> and then uh, on Solana, things are breaking all the time because it's like it's in beta. It's not even like a full mainnet release yet. It's, it's still beta. Um, when things break, the first thing they do is go, OK, this is broken. We're going to go and do a two week sprint with 50 incredibly talented engineers and go and solve it. And then they do right and they're open about it and they're like they tell everyone this is what's happening this is what you know what went wrong and then they say everyone update your nodes we've solved all these problems you're going to make more money and people go and do it right and it's all voluntary it's like it's incredible and then on bsv it's like <laughs> uh there was the um uh what was the launch was it the one we did over christmas i can't remember uh Anyway, the I think it was was it the frogs or oh like an NFT launch? Yeah, there was like an NFT launch on Rare Candy over 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 Christmas, and like the whole network was just completely wrecked because whoever was working at Tal like was on holidays, like probably like cutting up a turkey or whatever, right? And <laughs> and like there, yeah, you know I mean, like probably like like cracked a beer, cutting up a turkey, or whatever. <laughs> It'll just take care of itself. It didn't. It didn't take care of itself. It completely fucked up. Like, because of like a software setting that at the miners end or what? Yeah, yeah. Basically, the node software fell over and then they like moved. They they like flipped from the 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 good node to the shit node, and then the shit node was uh, under a lot of uh, stress and yada yada yada. And right? so you could and potentially like, build something that stops working because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so when I posted about this on Twitter, uh, Calvin like says, "You should have planned ahead." I'm just like, <laughs> look, listen. Oh, my apologies. Listen, I didn't realize BSV the economy do, shut down. I look, didn't realize BSV the economy shut do down for Christmas. Absolutely massive scale. As long as you send a note to the one guy at the mining company and say, hey, heads up, we need to make sure that you can scale on this particular date. <laughs> Don't go out for a beer. <laughs> 
yeah like that's, that's like you know and like i'm not saying don't have holidays or whatever i'm saying like you know no you should have a network that you don't need to to know the guy personally and make sure he's gonna have everything ready to go right the network should just work and be able to handle what you put on it especially when it's like not particularly scary sort of stuff you know well, and when it like, advertises itself as the network for massive scale yeah uh, enterprise enterprise right did you know that enterprise apps they actually stop working on christmas that's like that's why spotify sends you like that your yearly rap thing it's like yeah we're not going to give you any more songs because it's christmas right but here's all the ones you listen to this year right you can go back and listen to them we're not going to like it's absolutely just ridiculous the attitude that if anything goes wrong, it's never our fault. It's always the user's fault. It's always the other person's fault. It's totally ridiculous. It's so there's totally kind of a it's sort of interesting the the different approaches you laid out there. There's the the BCH like just leave it as it is. If it ever gets to a point where people want to use it more, then we'll, we'll think about yeah. fixing <laughs> fixing problems, um, yeah. which is sort of like pragmatic but uninspired. Then you have Solana, which is like, let's just push this baby all the time. Let's see if we can break it. Every time it breaks, let's all rally around and talk about how it broke and try to fix it. And everybody just expects that it's going to have some bugs and let's just, you know, work through it. And then BSV is like, this thing can work today. It's massive. Everything works fine. Uh, but then like, because there's so few people actually maintaining and running it, it breaks and you like literally got to DM somebody or tweet to the right to tweet to the people that are that need to reconfigure their nodes or whatever uh <laughs> okay um why um for for you why would you keep working on bsv given some of those criticisms and and the, the environment that it sounds like it sounds like solana has a culture that is more attractive to you why why keep working on bsv good question <laughs> Um, you know i I still think there's a lot that i can squeeze out of um out of it um certainly uh the current node implementation is not very good um and so the the way the way i see it is like if you solve problems on bsv like and, and like personally i don't see bsv as bitcoin right i see like this bitcoin is the bitcoin protocol and BSV is a fork of that protocol, yeah. as is BTC and BCA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, like, that's how I think about them too. It's like there's Bitcoin and then there's these three different implementations or maybe four with eCash or God knows how whatever. many. Yeah, yeah. So gold, whatever. Yeah, so like I don't see any of them as actually fulfilling the the promise or the, uh, the vision of Bitcoin. Um, but... I do see that like if you solve these wicked problems on BSV, like dealing with like incompetent miners, network outages, just ridiculous amounts of data suddenly smashing your server, all that stuff. If you deal with that and you you've managed to build infrastructure that can handle that gracefully when everything else is breaking down and on fire and whatever, right? Whatever does eventually scale to become Bitcoin, you've solved for that, right? So Bitcoin is this like, a scaling Bitcoin is this like crazy engineering challenge that like no one's really solved after like, you know, 12, 13 years. Like the, you know, you can go and uh, like upload some like massive files and pretend that you've solved scaling, but you haven't. Like that's not scaling, right? That's, that's about as interesting as like BitTorrent or something. In fact, it's worse because it's like, 
it's like one to one connection. It's not like one to many or many to one. You know, it's like it's it's not even as exciting as BitTorrent, right? Of course, you can just spam data onto a chain and pretend it's scale. Scale is when you can handle 50,000, 100,000 transactions per second. That's when you can handle like basically all of the the world's uh, economic activity. Yeah. And even if even if it's like even if even if it was something like we take standard payments like Peter PKH and we put them through a GPU and we just absolutely rip them 24 seven, right? And then it can also do a couple of other things like put data on chain and a couple of token things and whatever, but they go in the slow lane. As long as just like the micropayments yes. can hit 50 to 100K sort of thing yeah. per second. Well, that's, that's where like, like the price discrimination thing and maybe price yeah. discrimination isn't even the full extent of it, but the ability to say there are different ways to use the blockchain and micropayments are pretty well defined and they have certain things that they need. They need the speed, they need the really low fees. And if, and if I'm just doing a shit ton of micropayments, you can service that in a different way than you service something like some complicated execution of a yeah, smart like, contract or some other yeah, stuff. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Do, do you have a philosophical or technical or economic or emotional attachment to proof of work um, versus like something like Solana is doing, which is kind of a hybrid or something like proof of stake or whatever. Do, do you believe that long-term proof of work, like, cause I've dug pretty deep into some of these arguments. And every time I dive into the arguments, I usually come away being like, yeah, I just don't see how I feel like you got to be proof of work for the long term, or it's not going to work. And then I always forget why I was convinced of that. <laughs> so um, are, what, what is your thought on that? Like, to, to have to have Bitcoin or something like it in the vision, does it need to be proof of work? When you have significant proof of work behind something, you can trust it in absence of the rest of the blockchain. So put it this way. If someone came and showed you a recent BTC block, right? And it was absolutely like ridiculous difficulty. You know, there's probably like five people in the world who could have produced that level of difficulty. And they're, you know, probably not lying, right? Just by looking at that one block header in absence of the entire chain, you have established already a mathematical proof that it would be really hard to make this block header. It could be a fake, but they've at least gone and spent, I don't know, 100,000 or something dollars like trying to make this fake proof of a block header, you know? Whereas with proof of stake, you have absolutely zero guarantees in absence of the rest of the, the, the ledger and the network. But then at the same time, with proof of work, you have the ability to have these like 100 block reorgs on, on, on BSV because the, the difficulty is so low, right? Um, whereas proof of stake doesn't reorg. It, it really like it really doesn't because the economic incentives aren't there and no one can just like move that much stake to go and disrupt the, the network, it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't have these, this reorg problem. Um, and then when it comes to proof of stake, you have really, really like quick uh, transaction finality. Like there are chains that can have transaction finality within 20 seconds. That is to say it's buried under enough blocks that it's treated as irreversible, right? Whereas Bitcoin never actually achieves that. It just has probabilistic, um, what would you say? It's probabilistic 
security, if you know what I yeah. mean. Like it's very yeah. unlikely someone's going to go and outmine this. But with yep. proof of stake, like the rules of the network are at a certain point, generally something's considered like irreversible on, on, on most networks like that. Um, so, but I, I, think, I think they're kind of good at solving different things. My main criticism of proof of stake over proof of work is that it enables people to weaponize li liquidity, um, which like when, when it first started coming out, like, like proof of stake and all of that, um, as, as opposed to proof of work, what ended up happening was like, people would put their money on exchanges, exchanges would have all this liquidity and they would know users are going to withdraw a maximum of 20, 30% of their liquidity on a bad day, right? So I've got 70% of my users liquidity that I can tie up voting for my own node and sit here just printing money, right? And so it enabled exchanges to weaponize users liquidity against them. And now, you know, the bigger exchanges like OKX, Binance, et cetera, they allow you to earn from your own liquidity tied up in their exchange, but they still take a fee. So what that, what that shows you is that proof of stake actually leads to exchanges running nodes um, because they're the ones commanding the largest amount of liquidity. And if you think about what the job of an exchange is, is to extract the maximum amount of value out of you possible, right? Um, so you've got this network run by essentially banks who are trying to charge you bank fees. Um, and, and they have a, money a massive against you. incentive to encourage the creation of as many coins as possible and as many different ways to you know exchange this with that and that right because like i mean that's your business is trading I mean, that's, and that's and, fine that's fine yeah i, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think care, that's but, inherently yeah. wrong but i but i think it's interesting you can see how perhaps proof of stake contributed to um part of what has driven crypto away from like use case like business use cases and into just speculative use cases you know well, you can see it on like on Tron, on EOS, on like every every one of these chains. Um, basically, the block validators, like the top ten, I just like looked some of them up. The top ten are either founding teams, VC firms who were behind the founding teams, or exchanges, right? So, I I think that that like. Proof of stake can can solve certain problems really well and really efficiently, but when it comes to like these inflationary um, assets, I think, uh, yeah, like if you can accumulate a lot of liquidity somewhere, like an exchange can, then you're going to be able to take over that network and subvert it and do whatever you want. So then the other, I suppose, counter argument is like, why would exchanges ruin these networks when it would you know, tank the price. Um, and so they wouldn't be able to cash out, but, you know, they can literally manipulate that too. So it's, it's, um, yeah, that, that's my main, my main issue with proof of stake. Um, other than that, you know, it, it has a lot of upsides in terms of like, like the UX is way better. It's much, mm. it's much faster to get transactions confirmed. It's much faster to get them into blocks, you know, like, you can get into a Solana block in like what three to five hundred so, milliseconds. So, so when you talk about that, from a from a I'm I'm a you know idiot non technical <laughs> person. I'm sort of like yeah I don't really care because my user experience 
with zero confirmation, especially if I'm a vendor and I'm selling something, uh, I've got a thing that people can buy with BSV, um, or if I'm buying it as a consumer, the experience is instant. And the fact yeah. that there's some probability that there could be some double spend or whatever, like that doesn't really worry me. A probabilistic security doesn't worry me. I think the economic incentives are such that there's not really enough of a likelihood of that happening that I really want to care too much about it. Is that is that just because these networks are so small and not that many people are trying to, to screw with them? Is, is that something that, you know, the, the current model of zero comp and then you've got the, you know, you wait, whatever, it gets into a block. And then after X number of confirmations, the difficulty of trying to double spend goes so high that, like, do you see that as problematic? You see that as not secure enough. I've never seen that as, as not secure enough. It always seems, I, I, I just the economic see calculus like seems quite, quite secure. I just see it as a shitty UX because like I can on, on Tron even, Tron is like total shit coin, right? Like I can go and get something mined into a block in like three seconds, right? On EOS or on um, Solana or any of these other chains, I can get it in like what, three to 500 milliseconds, right? Into a block. They can go, it's in this block, right? And it's not gonna it's not gonna get reorged. If it does, it'll be in another block within 500 milliseconds. You know, what that, kind of what kind of use case? Because I'm thinking like again, I'm thinking from a normal normie consumer standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Okay. If I click like I, on Twitch, it just works and it's and it's done. And I don't need kinda, to know the kind of. I, I don't need kinda. to know that that didn't make it into a block until 10 minutes later. Like it doesn't that doesn't change my user yeah. experience not knowing that right because it feels the same. Yeah, that might be the case in terms of something as as tiny as like a Twitch like, where it's the yeah. same as like a Twitter like. Like Twitter goes over capacity all the time. You like something and it doesn't make it into their database, right? Like that yeah. happens all the time on Twitter. So in, in these cases, you probably don't care too much. Yeah. However, if a transaction fails, it can screw up your UTXO set and yada, yada, yada. So there okay. can be all these like downstream effects, right? Got Which it. is... When you if you, if you have like unreliable broadcast in a UTXO system, you're really you're screwed, you know. And that's yep. that's where we're at now with 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 Bitcoin. Um, whereas in an account-based system, uh, you don't have you don't have this problem, right? Like uh, you just have a balance and an account, and you you spend the you you know you spend the balance. But you know, I guess the drawback is you have to be able to recover your balance from somewhere or know you have at least a certain amount to like sign something right um but yeah so i think i think like if you think in terms of like buying a coffee right the best option today to buy a coffee is actually bch even though it's slightly more expensive because there's less activity it's easier to audit and it's like it's it's got higher hash rate it's less likely to reorg you know like everything about it is just it's, they've got better, you know, um, point, point of sale systems, etc. They're integrated into like every major platform, right? And you know, SolPay is probably going to, you know, be a really significant competitor there because you can do the USDC thing. Um, but if you look at like some of these proof of stake chains, they can be really great because your transaction can be irreversible within 20 seconds, right? Yeah. So that's like in the time you've, you know ground the coffee beans, the transaction already can't be reversed, yep. which is better than a credit card. Oh yeah. In terms yeah. of like 
every every metric imaginable, right? Yeah. It's and it's better than Bitcoin even because it's so it's so fast. Like as a merchant, you know, it's it's quick. So if you take away all of these horrible network effects of the proof of stake stuff, where eventually exchanges get to manipulate their vast liquidity against their own users and customers and whatever, and you just ignore all that crap and you just think in context in the context of the UX of these chains, yep. um, it's pretty damn good. That, especially if you especially if you're using like USDC, right? If you're using a coin that's insulated from that yeah. crap, you know, like. It's pretty damn good. Does proof of stake, what are the implications on the fees from proof of stake? Is that, is that like, cause I know if Ethereum fees are insane, but um, that's not from my understanding because it's, um, well, it's actually not proof of stake yet. Is it, aren't they trying to move to no, proof of stake? Yeah. 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 Um, they've been saying for years. Yeah. yeah does, does proof of stake, what, what, are, what implication is that on, on fees? Does it change, you know, can, can you have a proof of stake chain that has very, very low fees that stay very low? Um, or is there something about the, the system that tends towards fees behaving in a certain direction? Well, uh, proof of stake obviously is cheaper to produce than yeah. proof of work, which means that really all you're, all you're buying into is like network effect essentially, which is the same way a printing press works, right? So, like what how how are the fees it, set? How are the fees set in proof of stake? Oh well, some some chains they have incredibly low fees or no fee. Like the fee is literally um, like there there are chains where you stake your coin uh, for resources and you get allocated like resources on a daily or whatever basis. Um, based like so like I lock up a thousand of this shit coin, right? That enables me to make fifty casual transactions a day for free, and you know. It, in, in exchange for that, everyone else benefits by me apparently locking up my liquidity, making the coin less liquid and therefore increasing demand for the coin to make payments, right? Like that's the theory, right? <laughs> in this practice, what so happens <laughs> in, in practice, you know, what? Oh, dude, you want me to just quickly, quick tangent, just blow your mind. Yeah. Uh, so, so technically that's true, right? Yeah, you lock it up and the coin becomes more liquid, uh, uh, sorry, it becomes less liquid and therefore, you know, you increase demand for the coin and that's like really good Ponzi-nomics. But what people have done now on all these proof of stake chains is they, they, they now give you a derivative. So you, you like lock your coin up, right? In like staking for something, whatever, right? They create a derivative token, which is an IOU to get your coins back. And now you can trade the IOU token freely and you give that to someone who's happy to wait 24 hours to unlock those coins. You know, you can get services like immediately using those locked coins. So like you can actually DeFi your way out of this problem. It's it's so funny. Um, but anyway, there, there are networks like that where you lock up some liquidity and you can do transactions for free. And so in that case, uh, these transaction uh, processing people are, are making money primarily from inflation. That is, you know, each block Got coin inflates. Um, and then there are chains like Solana where you just pay very low fees and they accumulate the same way as, as Bitcoin. And, the, and are um, those fees set at the protocol level or are they determined by... The people that are that are processing those transactions it's usually set by the node developers um okay. but uh you know i'm sure in most cases you'd be able to accept a lower fee um like Got you'd it. be able to tweak it uh but it, it's really on a per network basis each of them navigate this quite 
yep. differently. Yep. Um, but there's and- but there's no there's no technical reason that a proof of stake chain would have would have fees that would have to worry about fees being higher than uh, proof of work with massive blocks. Well, you know, just just think about the sort of network you're building with proof of stake. You're essentially recreating the banking system with a with a cartel of banksters, right? Yeah, yeah. So, what's to say they don't reach world domination and then jack yeah. the fees up? Yeah, they corner like, the market yeah. and then they control it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, which is what yeah, what so, I love about the you know the mining, the entry and exit of miners that that ability to come and compete with each other i don't know there's something about that that just appeals to me more from an incentive standpoint than proof of stake i feel like just like the proof of work just like it filters out a lot of like bullshit you know yes Um, right like that's that's the simplest way you can really put it but it's also it is also extremely expensive um and so it needs to be put into context right it's like it's the same as like um you know uh aerospace is extremely expensive but like it's kind of nice to have gps right so like you have to you have to like put things into perspective is having global gps worth you know billions of dollars it's like well of of course it is because it creates and saves billions of dollars right but so you you need to if you're if you're going to spend all this money on proof of work you need to make it um do something useful for for the world for humanity um and you know, solve some problems with it. And uh, certainly, there are problems that it can it can solve. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know, it's 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 not like I, I think proof of work has got a like this nice sort of um, how would I say it punishes people who are like uh, it, it punishes bad actors yeah. and makes it hard. It, it makes it like have a high high barrier to entry for doing you know bad bad shit. Whereas Proof of stake has got a much better UX. Um, it's much, it's like it's much faster, it's much cheaper. Um, but then there's like no barrier to entry other than network effects. And so really it's like if you build the McDonald's of proof of stake, you win. You know? Um that's just kind of yeah. how that works. So so okay, you uh you mentioned the for one of the downsides of a proof of work chain, especially if the, the hash is low, um, you can get these reorgs. Yeah. And I'm curious, like how how problematic is that? Because my my take is, I feel like w- when like the hundred block reorg happened on BSV, I feel like BSV fans pretended like it didn't matter at all, which seems silly to me, and BSV enemies pretended like, oh my gosh, this just proves the whole network is flawed and you can't have big blocks, you can't. It's a total disaster, which totally seems wrong to me as well. I my take is like, yeah, it matters. But it doesn't matter as much as you might think. Like, like is it is it that much of a problem? I mean, so when that when that happened, I use all these apps that use BSV. I never noticed anything. Nothing seemed to change. Everything still seemed to work. Maybe things went down. I don't know. If you know, maybe things went down well, for as, several as hours. The guy, as, the, as the guy maintaining probably at least a handful of those. Yeah, apps, you probably uh, maintain half of them. <laughs> it's you know, not 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 a fun day. Um so like what happens? Like, so, I mean, it happened, you get a hundred block reorg and then it all gets patched up in like a couple hours. Like, isn't that just like a growing pain sort of thing? Or is that like, no, no this is no, a fundamental no. problem that's going to keep happening and you can't. No, that it. was handled. That was handled absolutely terribly. So we had, <laughs> we had the Bitcoin association on Twitter going, please invalidate this, this, this illegal chain. 
It's like, why, why is it illegal? What made that illegal? It's not <laughs> illegal. It's literally in the rules. You're allowed to do that. Um, and then it's like, oh, it contained a double spend. Oh, did it? Can you please show us the double spend so that we can like see that, you know? And not to mention, you know, every block tile mines now contains double spends because their broadcast system is wrecked. Like it, they are double spending transactions. They say that they will mine like right now because they've got like a load balancer between multiple well, nodes. So who's paying for that then? Who's, who's suffering? Um, it's usually, well, people who are actually making transactions. Well, like, but I, but, well, uh, give, me, give me like, cause I've never, I've never experienced or encountered someone who's experienced, you know, um, the, the double okay, spend um, issue. Yeah. So, so look at like the, the, the rare candy mint, like there was like, about 400 transactions that were submitted. They said they would mine, and then they uh, they reorged with competing spends. Um, so like, so then some of those, so, so some so, of the people that that had a transaction that appeared like it went through, uh, turned out it didn't show up in the block later, and it didn't. Yes, it didn't go yes. Got so it. so it can be like this, right? Say there's two nodes. We send transaction one to node one, transaction two to node two, right? Well, then um, it's not not within it's not within our control because that's load balanced on their end, right? We send one here, one there, right? This one doesn't have this transaction, right? And so this one's saying, oh, the transaction failed because I don't have the previous transaction that it's spending, right? And so we go, oh, that transaction failed we'll reuse that UTXO next time because it hasn't been spent. And then you go to reuse that UTXO next time, right? In the meantime, this node's broadcasted it to here, but it failed on this node and it said it failed. And then you broadcast a competing spend back to that node because it's giving you false negatives and false positives and false everything, right? Yep. When yep. broadcast is not reliable, you can have it where you could get like two, three, four transactions deep it invalidates the first or second transaction and that whole chain is uh, is broken. Now compound that with the fact that on networks like Twitch, one interaction, like one transaction could interact with say four or five people. Yeah. You know, someone makes a post, it gets shared. You then like that post while you're tagging three people while you're slash paying them. Yep. yep. Like, yeah. And then they all go and use those UTXOs in their subsequent transactions. And then you've just broken this entire slice of the 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 the, the graph of Twitch, you know. So, um, so do you, th that, do you think that that is a fundamental problem with the UTXO model? That's just always going to be a a risk, or is that just hey, look, it doesn't have to be this way. You could totally avoid this if the network would just run better, and and people, you it's, know, it's it's a people, it's a people and implementation problem primarily. Okay. Like UTXOs are, are much harder to work with than accounts, of course, but like it doesn't have to be that hard, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, it, if if you just like if you just write good software and implement it correctly, <laughs> like like it should be it should be this it should be this hard, right? I should submit a transaction to a miner, and subjectively, obviously, there's no objective view of the blockchain, right? Every miner has their own mempool, but if I submit to one miner and I don't submit to any other miner, let's just say. And they subjectively say to me, this is good. I'm going to mine it. I'm not going to allow any double spends, right? And they literally only have a positive or a negative. It's a yes, no, I will mine it or I won't, right? And there is no false positives. There's no false negatives. 
you've got somebody with hash rate who is committed that they will mine this. They then broadcast it out to other people with hash rate who will probably mine it. But you've already got that agreement with them saying that they'll, they'll mine it, right? That's good enough. Yeah. You know, that's good enough. But what we have now is both false positives and false negatives, which when you're working with UTXOs, it's just absolutely, it's dog shit because it's, it, it just completely like messes the whole thing up. And, and then you have to wait for blocks to come in to sort of see what did and didn't make it. And, um, you know, so it's, uh, it's really not, it's really not great. Um, there are ways to fix it. And, uh, you know, I'm working on some stuff, but, you uh, yeah, so like that, that would be my biggest concern is like when you, if you wanted to onboard Twitter tomorrow, for example, like that would, that would happen with the current <laughs> network, you know, that would literally happen to like when you have social graphs where the, there's these like long chains of interconnected like relationships and they're on spending, like you can do stuff like you can spend um, confirmed UTXOs first or like older UTXOs first and that can you know, solve part of the problem, right? But then all of a sudden someone wants to pay, you know, $20 and uh, they need to gather up a whole bunch of these, you know, these UTXOs to pay the $20 and then any one of them is wrecked. Well, you've just destroyed the graph again. So, you know, the UTXO model, when it's not being, how would you say, maintained correctly by the correct software implementations and the, the right people and whatever, can be an absolute nightmare, right? But when it works, because you've got this segregated state where uh, at least at the time of spending, it's not, it's not really like, it's not really dependent on anything other than the previous transaction, yeah. right? Yeah. So you can split that up very, very, you know, you can scale that in parallel very well. It, so, it's amazing the, uh, you know, the, the Bitcoin white paper, what it describes, or Bitcoin, as you and I said, just not any of these particular chains, but just Bitcoin, yeah. sort of the idea. Yeah. It is so many, so many incredible innovations in terms of aligning incentives in order to make this kind of, you know, global digital cash possible. But there's, I think there's an area that I think it took a long time, several years for people to sort of figure this out. Maybe Mike Hearn figured it out earlier than most, but yeah. where the incentives are still not solved. And that is... Like, wouldn't you want a system where you don't have to rely on really good, smart people who make really good decisions uh, <laughs> and don't do stupid things, right? As, like, because what oh. you're describing to me, you're like, look, yeah. BSV could work if people would just be better. And it's like, well, you don't want the technology to require people to be better people or to be better business people or whatever. No, we do want but that. The incentives to that. just to let to let idiots who are self interested come on there and do the do the thing that's good for the network, you know. But you can't you can't escape that to a degree. When it comes to the, uh, what, the, the protocol or the, 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 the is, node software. What it is, it's incentives. You know, it's incentives chasing incentives. So you've got the, 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 the primary developers who are working on the software won't accept external input at all. It's completely closed source development. They just release it publicly and call it open source, right? They're being paid a salary whether they do a good job or not, right? To then hand this over to miners who primarily chase a block reward and outside of that chase, the giant, you know, the giant, giant stacks of data and don't really care about what problems they, they, they create for anyone else on the network. And so really like, if you just took away all of these incentives and things were left up to just like a market without this like uh, 
essentially like socialist incentive system. Um, or another way of putting it, if the block subsidy died off like five years ago or something, yes. uh, and it was it was forced to be a fee market, right? Yep. Um, people would have to be better. People would have I, to do I, more. I think work. that's the biggest thing. I really do. I think yeah. I think the the block subsidy reduction schedule was not nearly aggressive long. enough. Yep. Yeah, it's way too long. It I think that's the, like the fatal flaw. Max. That's the fatal yep. flaw. Uh, so um, th this has been really fun uh, getting getting into the weeds on some of this stuff. It, it sounds like if I could sum up where you're at, you're like, look, I want to be able to do all this incredible stuff, including micropayments, which is the thing that I'm focused on with this series. Um, I'll do it with whatever technology works. There's things I like enough about Bitcoin to think that it is worth trying to figure out how to, how to make that the, the thing that does it at massive scale. Yes, I'm open to Solana and some of these others. They may even be better in certain cases, but it is worth trying to overcome. There are very real problems uh, when you come to, to you know, big block Bitcoin, but it is absolutely worth trying to solve those and those are probably solvable. Would that be a fair characterization of kind of your, your take? Yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty that's pretty close to it. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't really care. I would just want to make money, right? And I want other people to be able to make money. I want people to be able to engage in free trade with as little middlemen in the way as possible, as few as possible, rather. Um, and I want to basically have a scalable um, digital economy that you know anyone can participate in and create value in. And I think um, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin protocol, has the ability to do that. Whether or not that happens on BSV remains to be seen. Um, uh, but for right now, at least it's like a place where I can deal with the, you know, the most incompetent people and the most wicked problems and the worst possible things that I have to deal with, you know, while solving these problems to make it like to battle test my own software implementations. And, uh, you know, if that ends up living somewhere else 10 years from now or whatever, because it's all a big failure, great. At least I've solved the problem. Um, and if it ends up living on this network and this network ends up improving and becoming the, you know, the, the one that wins it all, also great. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not emotionally attached, um, but I do find the idea of Bitcoin, the original enchanting. I'm sure everybody does to some extent. There's something kind of, you know, special about it. Um, you know, it was not the first cryptocurrency. It was not the first blockchain, but it was the one that took off. You yeah. Know? Um, so I don't think that it's just simply plumbing. You know, I think there's more to the idea of Bitcoin than, than just that. If there's somebody listening to this who is toying around with an idea, maybe they want to spin up an app uh, mm. that, that utilizes micropayments and uh, get something out there, get their hands dirty. What, what advice do you have for them? I would say uh, start with a market of like, you know, 10 to 20 people and like create a cool app and uh, see if you can, you know, see if they like it, gather feedback and just um, always iterate and uh, follow what your customers and your community, you know, like maybe not everything they say, but like at least listen to them and take that on board and allow that to make you better. And um, yeah, make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're solving for a real problem. And, um, you know, so it's kind of the same as any business. Um, however, I would say that in Bitcoin, you have the ability to monetize from day one. And um, 
people sending you a couple of pennies is a much more valuable signal than someone saying, oh, I'd pay for that, yep. right? It's like, yep. it's like, well, why don't you pay for it now, you know? Um, so I think, you know, every company I've ever, I've ever started, every app I've started on this chain, like accepted payment from day one and, and it ended up accepting more and more payments um, because it got popular and was, you know, useful to somebody. So, um, and, uh, you know, think outside the box, you know, micropayments don't have to go everywhere. They don't have to be everything. Bitcoin doesn't have to solve every problem, right? It just has to solve the double spend problem. And it's already, you know, it's already cheap, affordable, fast, usable for, for you know, for your, your means. So, yeah. um, yeah, that would be my quick advice. I love it. I love it. Dean, this has been awesome. Always a pleasure until next time, man. Yeah. All right. See you, man. Thank you.